Hello and welcome to From Story to Impact, where we talk about the stories of our lives. I'm your host, Steve Gallegos, and I want to thank you for giving us your time and attention. This is the official show of the Voices of Impact Awards, and the event is an annual event that celebrates and recognizes the voices that inspire humanity. And when we talk about voices, we're talking about your voice, either as a songwriter or through your own personal story. Because we know you've had struggles and you've had challenges, and you've also had some joyful, epic experiences from which you've learned valuable lessons. These lessons and experiences can guide others to do better and be better in their personal lives, their relationships, their careers, and their business endeavors. Stories is what connects us one to another. Stories open the door to understanding one another. Stories give meaning to our past, they provide a framework for the present, and stories allow us to envision the future. Stories can make us laugh and sing and cry, and they inspire us to bring out new products and create new companies and, and bring new ideas and much-needed solutions to the, to the world. So if you want to compete in the Voices of Impact Awards, you don't need to be a celebrity, a social media influencer, or even a published author. You only need the courage to share your original song, or your personal story with the world. And if you've never presented in public before, that's okay, because we have a team of expert collaborators that will guide and direct you on how to write and speak and share your heroic story. To learn more and to apply for your chance to be a finalist and win $20,000 in cash and a book contract from Morgan James Publishing, head on over to voiawards.com and register. Make it your contribution to the world. And speaking of stories, our studio guest today, although it's a virtual studio, is Cindy Berkland, who is a leading professional mortgage and financial advisor. She is located in the amazing city and community of Las Vegas, Nevada, and she gets to serve clients all around the country with her uh, mortgage and financial services. And so uh, I had the chance to listen to her speak uh, a couple of weeks ago at another event, and I was just... Um, wowed really by the story this woman's story of redemption of perseverance of rising from the ashes and i'm not going to get into the details i'm going to let her get into the details because it's a very impactful story so please welcome to the studio cindy berkland hello cindy morning steve thank you for having me and this is very exciting when I heard your story a couple of weeks ago when we met at the other event, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a story the world needs to hear because not only is it impactful from just the true experience of it, but it's probably something that a lot of people or many people have gone through or are going through, right? When they have, um, you know, a person in their life that is uh, doing things that is not necessarily... <laughs> beneficial, right, for the person or the relationship or the community or, or whatever. So on that note, Cindy, I'll let you bring us into it. Tell us what happened. Well, I had been, um, since I was an adult, I, I got into the mortgage industry very, very young. I was recruited into the business. I had started into title and escrow and then into uh, the financial world and finance, but I was recruited into the mortgage world. And I was so excited about it because there was a good bit of money to be made in mortgage. I had been in title and escrow and 
I hadn't been, you know, as I was progressing my my career, everything got better financially. Well, as I got into mortgage, I just fell in love with it. I was quickly promoted uh, through the ranks into management and I was given a branch in Vegas by the time I was 26 years old. I'd only been in the mortgage business one year and came out to Vegas and Vegas was a totally different market than Portland, Oregon, where I was from. And oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, those, are, those, really- are world, those are worlds <laughs> apart. Those are two different yeah. planets that you are on. <laughs> well, and I was like, uh, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. I was exactly. really uh, like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to make money at the bank that I was working for. So very quickly, I was uh, recruited to come out and broker with the firm. And within probably a year of that, um, I was op- I opened up my own mortgage company. We were very, very successful. By now, the economy was booming, going great guns. And I would say for about seven years, we were just slaying it. We were, you know, I went from a no name to the number two mortgage company in the state of Nevada in very short time. Before you knew it, we had 85 loan officers. I had 15 people on staff to support them. And we were just making money hand over fist and doing well. And I was also buying and selling houses, flipping them and had the world by the tail. And it sounds like it. Cindy, what years was this just to give the audience a framework? You know, about 21 to 2007, 2001 to 2007, we were doing really, really well. You know, when you're in such a booming economy, when you've been around for a while, people really trust you. And, you know, we had a great referral business, but I was out, you know, always been out in the community and we were doing uh, just a lot of loans. And as I was growing my financial empire, I was like, wow, I really need to get clear on what I want for my retirement, you know, get everything going. And um, so I started to, you know, reach out to people that were in the money business, financial advisors, financial planners, and, you know, I need to do something with my money. And I was so busy at this time. Now I have, you know, three small children and I've got a mortgage company and I've got other businesses. And I just was of the mentality, like, I'm going to give you my money and I want you to take care of it. And you do the right thing with my money, invest it for me, make me lots of money. And That wasn't the best plan because as we know, in 2008, you know, everything just the world went upside down. And Cindy, let me interrupt. Who are you giving your money to? You don't have to mention names. Are we talking about outside advisors? Yeah. Okay. So basically, you know, I was, I thought fairly diversified, you know, I had my real estate, but I also wanted my money to be, you know, in other things. So Now, you know, I understood real estate and I knew all about that, but I did not know the money game. I did not know how investments worked or any of that. I didn't understand the stock market, but I trusted my advisors and I'm like, just take care of it. But because I wasn't educated on money and my advisors were just like, yeah, we'll take it from here. I did not realize what they were doing with my money. And What ended up happening is I lost multiple seven figures of income because I trusted somebody else with it. And nobody cares more about your money than you do. And, you know, for them, they were making money on the products that they were putting me in. But I I, I was amazed. And I don't think that's a really good. That's not fair. Knowing what I know now, I was like, wow, I I was set up to lose from the. And they set themselves up very well. 
so for me, losing millions and millions and millions of dollars. And now I, because of that, it started a, a domino effect with everything else. And I just couldn't keep everything together. And, you know, when the hurricane hit or the smoke, you know, when I came out of the smoke, I was like, oh my gosh, I have nothing left. I mean, everything was a complete loss. And I was so angry. And I I just was like, I had a conversation with God and I was like, you know, God, I need you to help me figure out what happened here because this doesn't make any logical sense. And if you ever help me figure this out, I will scream from the rafters what happened and how to avoid this. And so that's how I ended up eventually getting into the the financial industry because I was like, this will never happen to anybody on my watch. There's got to be something different. So, you know, luck would have it that a couple of years later, I ended up in the money business. And as they, I was going into training and I was working with supervisors, I was realizing bit by bit what had happened to me and what the advisors had done to me that were not good products for me. And I realized that there has to be education. And I felt, especially for women, that the the numbers are not good when, when men and women get divorced. Usually women are the ones that lose the most because they understand least about money. And so for me, I thought I was a pretty smart gal. You know, I had been in the mortgage business for years and, you know, felt like I knew a lot about money, but I did not. And so now I, I spend so much time educating my clients. You know, usually the first appointment they sit down with me and we spend at least an hour and a half and we do something called how money works. And I say, I want you to understand how this whole process works and how money works and why certain products are better than others and certain products only certain people can have and why you would do this product versus this one. And usually when I'm done on the first appointment, I tell people, if even if I think they know quite a bit about money, I usually always hear like, wow, I had no idea. And they're they become very loyal and raving fans because they know that I'm putting them in something that is best for them. And they're in the, they're in the driver's seat when it comes to their money, but now they're very, very educated. And I've had clients that come to me and saying, you know, I worked with my financial company for years, but I don't know anything about what's going on with my money. And they basically uh, (laughs) give me a, if the conversation goes something like that, we'll take it, honey. It's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with your money. It's, and it's not a good feeling when someone else is talking to you like that. And you need to know what's going on with your money. And okay. education is so key uh, when it comes to what I do. Exactly. And, you know, the, that particular situation affects so, so many people, men and women, right? Because we don't grow up. We grew up in an environment where we were simply told, you know, money doesn't grow on trees necessarily. But for my experience, I don't remember being taught how to balance a checkbook. I don't remember my parents didn't teach me anything about money or credit cards or anything like that. And so most of us were thrown out into the world and, hey, you got your credit card and, hey, you're going to buy a car and, hey, you're going to get your first mortgage, not really understanding the impact of all of this and how it's going to affect you long term. And then you start, you know, making investments. And fortunately, since the age of the internet, right, since 2000. Two, three, four. When the internet started uh, developing, then we all started having access to the same information, which is good because now we can make new and different decisions. However, the information is so 
prolific. In other words, there's so much information. Now the problem became not just a lack of access to the information, but how do you sift through it and evaluate, is this good for me? Is this not good for me? And so we relied a lot on these, you know, financial advisors who, you know, said, yeah, we'll take care of it for you. And we've got your back and you want to trust them because they were human beings that you're dealing with, right? Not just an ATM machine. Right. right? And and they talked to you, they sat down, oh yeah, Cindy, we're going to make a plan for you and, and all of those things. So let me ask you, the education that you got, was it uh, self-education by reading books and attending courses, or did you actually uh, return to school and get a degree in uh, finance? No, it was, I don't have a degree in finance at all. Um, really, um, I I feel like, it's time in the industry, but I had some really great coaches that just really poured into me because I think what they saw in me is I, I'm a connector at heart. I, I love people. I have a huge following. Whatever it is I do, I, I some I'm blessed where I just have people that, you know, come along for the ride, whatever I'm up to. So they knew that I would have a great number of clients because I have a sales ability and a natural ability with people. And they knew that they needed to pour into me. And the more I knew, the better off we would be. And for me, though, I'm a very competitive person. I don't do number two very well. I have to be number one at everything I do. It's it's a sickness, I think. As I learned products, I just would ask a lot of questions. And why this? And why would you do this? And why this? And this product sounds perfect. And why doesn't everybody do this? And then they laugh and say, well, this is, this is the downfall of this one. You know, so I knew every product, every pro and con, you know, why you would do certain things because I was so interested because of my losses. I had a very different bird's eye view is everything for me came through a lens of protecting my client. Well, what's the downfall of this one? And what's the downfall? So I asked so probably millions of questions, but I had people very patient with me and they poured in and I just keep working at something until I master it. So for me, it was just really learning how to explain money in a very simple teaching. I do a lot of visual uh, training. I get out a pen and paper and I show people how money compounds and how it works. I explain the difference between simple interest and compound interest and how inflation works and all the things. I explain it in a very simple way to understand because I understand things simply. And what I find that a lot of people in the money industry, financial advisors, financial planners, they like to show you how smart they are. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is they really alienate most clients. So for me, I was like, when they were doing that to me, I was, I didn't want to feel stupid. So I was just like, Oh yeah, yeah, I trust you, you know, and I didn't probably ask the right questions and they didn't set it up that way because they just wanted to be the expert. And you just listen to what I say, but I want my clients to be the expert at money and money is not complicated. Uh, It can be explained very simply and understood very simply. So usually when I'm done with people in my 45 minute presentation, I ask them questions and I'm like, you're hired. You could actually do what I do because it's that simple. And they're like, wow, I just didn't know that people really need to understand how money works. And what I do really needs to be taught in grade school, junior high, high school and college. And it's not taught in any of those things. Correct. So, Do you have a book in the works or do you have any programs, courses that people can take from you? 
right now, I do a lot of educating on my podcast. So every day I will do a short videos on certain things. I ask a lot of my friends and clients, what do you want to hear today? And a lot of them say inflation, inflation's on the rise, talk about inflation. Uh, so I will do short videos almost every day about something that I think that people need. I do have two books in the mix, in the works. One of them is really about relationships in business. And then the other one is about my story of what I went through in 08, my ashes story. So um, I'm right. You know, both of those are in the works right now. But very yeah, good, I, well, we'll be excited when those come out because I'm sure there's going to be um, bestsellers. And speaking of bestseller, you have another story that um, is Probably, I don't know, you know, judging on a, on a scale, do I rather lose $7 million or whatever the amount was, multiple millions, or go through this kind of experience? I mean, um, you know, you got hit, uh, you got blindsided, I guess it would be a good term for it, yeah. in, uh, in, in a different way, too, from a, um, a relationship. Tell us about that. So, I, he, had, um, he and I had been friends for many, many years, and... When we started dating, he was also in the mortgage business. So he came to work for my mortgage company. And, you know, it just made sense. We were talking about, you know, we're going to be getting married. And, it, you know, why should he work in another mortgage company? And I'm at mine. And we should just kind of pool all of our, you know, efforts and income together. You know, he love, started love, will do, love will do that to you, right? It makes yeah, it and, and, you know, find everything. I, when I, looking back, uh, you know, we had a, a due diligence period that we went through when we bring on loan officers and, and anybody that came to work for the company, you know, we, we called on their references and found out about them and stuff. And, and for me, since I was dating him, I really didn't do all of that. You know, you're, you fall in love with somebody and you're like, well, it's my honey. You know, you don't, you feel like you don't need to take all those precautions. Sure. And looking back, you know, had I done that and, and really dug a little deeper, I would have I would have never brought him on to the company. And what ended up happening as, you know, our relationship progressed and babies are on the way and he ended up wanting to take more control over the company. And here's the thing. I had had a company that the reason we had been so successful was our culture. And we had a very family culture in our office. Um, everyone very much cared about each other. We did things for each other to help with business. We didn't really have competition within our office. The culture was super unique. I mean, I used to have ba you know, banks that we would work with come in and they'd come in and talk and they'd never want to leave. And they're like, we just love hanging out here. The, the energy was so powerful. And, um, I mean, people were knocking down our door to come work at the office. And um, as he came in, he little bit by little bit started changing the culture and it was not working. And unfortunately, he waited until I was out having a baby. I was having surgery. I had a C-section. And as soon as I was not able to come into the office, he went in and just started changing everything, changing people's compensation, just doing all kinds of things that were not, you just don't do. And um, by the time I came back to the office, I had lost over 50 loan officers. Uh, but not only that, he was doing things that were not exactly legal. And uh, next thing I know, I'm being brought up on charges for illegal things because I was the broker of the company. And oh my gosh, it set off a chain of event, events that like a made for TV movie. And the next thing I know, uh, 
I'm in I'm in big trouble, hot water. And you were actually arrested and in handcuffs, right? I was brought up on charges and I. um, Next thing I know, he's out of the country. He fled the country. Oh, really? I've got now three young children. I don't know what's just happened. I've got to get an attorney and dig my way out. And it was the most horrifying experience I could ever imagine ever being in. It was my darkest moment. I Had I not been a Christian person, I probably would have ended my life. It was so dark. There's just no way to describe that level of deception from especially somebody that you love and you trust. And um, I... I was just standing there and and just watching my world disintegrate in front of my eyes. Like, obviously when something like that happens, your reputation is now just torched. Uh, I was getting letters from banks and everything. And I uh, was literally (laughs) had to spend a hundred percent of my time focused on getting out of that situation and figuring out what happened and, and working with uh, my attorneys with everything. I mean, short story or long story short, uh, I was exonerated of everything, but we had to work for years to get him back into the country, get him, um, get him arrested, get him where, you know, he ended up facing charges and, you know, was put in jail for that. And I was exonerated from that, but it was quite a situation. It became a very a high profile case. Uh, I couldn't have the TV on at all. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't chance my children seeing that on TV. It was, it was something that my very closest friends were like, one day you need to write a book about this because nobody would even believe it. And I I journaled every day walking through that process because I I could not believe had I not wrote written things down, I wouldn't believe it happened. It was so surreal. Um, but, you know, God is good. And I said, Lord, if you ever help me get through this situation, I will absolutely sing of your praises. And um, God God just walked me through that and, and gave me the grace to get through it because there were days that I didn't think I could even stand. And, and just trying to raise three little kids and keep them out of the limelight and um, – and then reinventing myself because at that point, mortgage industry, the mortgage business for me had to go on pause. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> what year? What year did this happen? This happened in two thousand and eight, right when the, the crash was happening. So I would have been able to stay afloat. I mean, I had put my, you know, put things in place where I would have been able to sustain um, the two thousand and eight crash in my company. However. Uh, when you catch charges like that, uh, there was no staying afloat through that. You know, we that ended up going on a hiatus for a while. But so you never ended up marrying this individual, right? No, and it was it was really interesting. He, you know, we had gotten engaged, but every time it came time for me to plan the wedding, like we needed to get going, and he was hounding me about, hey, why aren't we why aren't we progressing this along? I would get this very sick feeling in my stomach. Like I just would get sick to my stomach about it. And so I just kept delaying it, delaying it. And he'd get very angry with me and screaming at me. And, and I'm like, I (laughs) not really good about marrying you. And, and, and my intuition and my gut ended up to be very right on. Cause I'm like, why do I feel like this? I don't understand 
why I keep getting sick every time I think about getting married to him. And, you know, that was just God's inner voice guiding me along. And I think that because by now, you know, we had a child together and I thought, well, we just need to go ahead and get married. And I think that was just God protecting me when that case happened that I'm going to make it away so you can never be with him. Like he's on a plane out of the country. Like it, it was kind of done at that time um, to say the least. And I think that that was just God's way of protecting me no, that I, I didn't absolutely. marry him. Absolutely. We get these promptings and especially women, you are generally right. Not every woman listens and not every woman is in tune with it, but women are said to have this sixth sense, right. Of this intuitive notion and I know what my wife has it and I've learned to listen to her yeah. over the years whenever she has these initial you know just gut feelings is what it is it's it's your intuitive it's your it's your GPS system whatever you want to call it um uh, your guidance system, letting you know that this person we should stay away from, that person is okay, or we should not make this financial move, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I, I've learned to listen and honor that. But a lot of people don't honor their own guidance systems. I mean, yeah. you're, a, you're a very good example of it. You realize something was wrong, but, you know, there were no outward signs, at least at that time, to kind of, um, you know, show you that there's more to this than just, you know, a sick, icky, icky feeling, right? Because you hadn't had anybody or there weren't any signs that he had committed fraud or theft with any other organizations that he had been involved with, right? And we, we just weren't monitoring him like that. Like there's always, we have steps and procedures in place when when you're in the mortgage industry, you know, it, it it's a money industry. So right. there's a lot of checks and balances. Right. And, you know, he had his own, staff and I had mine on, you know, he had a different team and I was just relying on his, his staff, you know, um, to be checking things. But I, I was not doing the detailed things that I needed to do with his side of the fence because of our personal relationship. And that is just, you know, I, I ended up doing a little story on that and just talking, you know, a friend of mine was like, you really need to tell this story. And, and, share this with other women, because if there are women getting into business with someone, you know, with their, their, someone they're dating and stuff, all those checks and balances still need to happen when we're, you know, in a relationship. And what's interesting now for me is as much as I hate doing that, because I ended up with people telling such bad stories about me, like with Google and all, you know, when you end up in the limelight and obviously you're seen in a bad light. So I, I ended up feeling so um, horrible about checking people's backgrounds and everything because I felt like it was so intrusive, but it has to be done sometimes. Like we have to do the hard things if we want good things. And I, I, now I, I, everything when I'm working with people because of my clients and I have to protect my friends, my family, my clients, I do extra steps when it comes to due diligence, when I work with certain people, especially if it affects my client's money. You know, I've had clients come to me and say, well, what do we know about this company? And I'm like, actually, I've done two exhaustive searches on them and I've had, I've paid an outside firm and, and they're like, oh, 
it's just lessons learned lessons exactly. learned exactly and i don't blame you we we do um a uh, comprehensive background check on anybody that we partner with in business or that we are considering uh partnering with in in business because you know it's so easy to steal identities or to steal someone's valor or to steal someone's experience and and become someone who you're not right and yeah. you can fool the world and you know thanks to the internet we again thanks to the internet you know we have access to the information but then there's just so much information out there that it's hard to sift through yeah and um and and with you what happened to you because that's one of the things i did was you know to let me find out about cindy berkland i wanted to learn more right not that i was investigating you but i wanted to learn more and then i saw these google stories about the arrest and and the charges and I'm going, Oh no. Um, you know, which should be a good guest. And then I kept reading and researching, but here's the problem with, with Google and those search engines is they didn't denounce anywhere. Hey, Cindy Berkland was exonerated of charges. Yeah. Right. They didn't, you have to really dig deep to find out, you know, the end of the story. There's all kinds of stories about the arrest and, you know, those kinds of things and, and what you were accused of, but Google and the law enforcement doesn't issue a letter or a press release to Google. And maybe they should, right? Because um, a lot of people, you know, do get into these problematic situations, to say the least, and uh, your reputation is tarnished. I imagine, I, well, I can only imagine what you went through you know, when these charges initially came out. I mean, here you've got a whole stable of clients. You're one of the most respected mortgage advisors uh, in your community. And then all of a sudden the morning news is reporting this and showing you being led in handcuffs. And um, I bet, you know, did you lose a lot of friends? And I know you lost clients. You know, it, it was really, and it's funny that you mentioned this, Steve, about Google, because I we're actually doing a story on that right now, because I have a friend and he's like, oh my God, Cindy, I've met you and you, you're the most amazing person. And I love doing business with you. And he goes, you have one of the worst Googles I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> and I, he said, this just doesn't even seem fair. And he actually reached out to a couple of news companies and said, would you, would you mind looking at this story? Because this is just not even right. And they're actually having me lead the way about this, about what's happening with people, because this, I'm not the only person this has ever happened to people fall into bad times or bad things happen to good people. And, you know, in my case, you know, I saw my way out of it and a lot of people, good people will always figure out how to rise to the top. And, and so that is my story. It's one of ashes out of, you know, beauty out of ashes, but it's like, you know, the police did the right thing. The, the state did the right thing. Everything happened the right way, but it's like Google hasn't done the right thing. Yeah. And Google doesn't know to, it's a very unique thing. So you can wear a scarlet letter on your chest for the rest of your life if people only look at Google. And, you know, my friend did say, just like you, you you went deeper to find all the information. You found the rest of the story. But a lot of people that have gone to do business with me in the past saw that Google and just were like, sorry, you know, right, right. And, and I'm and I just sit there going, you know, I can't be in the industry that I am. Um, I can't get the license that I have having issues on my record. And sure. I, you know, again, been exonerated, but it's like, I wouldn't have get, I, you know, I have, I'm licensed in seven States, if not more, and I'm licensed in mortgage and I'm licensed in financial, financial things. So I can't get those licenses having a, 
any kind of a bad record. Right. Uh, criminal record. But a lot of people just once they see something like that, they're out of there. And so it, you know, I'm kind of like gonna, I think, become the poster child of setting the record straight the right way. So I did want to address that piece with you. So it needs to be done. Law enforcement should either, you know, issue a press release, right? Or the, the district attorney or the attorney general, whoever it is that's handling the case, they should be required by law to, when someone's exonerated like this, not just say, okay, sorry, Cindy, we made a mistake or, you know, good luck to you, you know, whatever, right? They didn't even give you a, a cupcake, nothing, not a cup of coffee, nothing. They just said, go, good luck to you. But it should be as a matter of law that they'd be required to at least issue a press release because it's not, you're right. It's not Google's fault. Google just reports what others report to it. Yeah. Google, Google doesn't create its own information, its own content. That's all content that other right, people but, but it will stay on there forever. If Indeed. somebody doesn't delink the story or something positive isn't put on there. And for a lot of people that don't have like, and I have spent, man hours like you would not believe trying to figure out how how to fix this and it's really not fixable unless the company or the place that wrote the story dealings the story and in a world where everybody's so busy and they're always after the latest story you know to get somebody to do that is no short of a miracle and i mean we're working on that as we speak one of the other things you can do uh is to issue your own press release, right? So that now that comes up near the top. And then articles about this is another way. So you write articles about the topic, you write articles about the subject, you write articles about your experience. So all of these are beneficial and positive and they will stay on top. And eventually you start bearing yeah, the, uh, you know, this is what we call reputation management in law, yes. right? Yeah. Reputation management. And so we just... You know, you might want to because it'll require a lot of content in order to push all that negative stuff down. Right. But at least when people find the negative stuff, there will be all that positive yeah. stuff up front, which it's you. You know, when you're up there on a podcast or an article where you're the one declaring, look, this happened to me. I was exonerated and this is my life now. That carries a lot of weight and a lot, a lot of value because people say, oh, well, she can't be a bad person if she's the one that's bringing this to the forefront as opposed to me having to search it. Right. You know, on, on page 10 of Google. So um, uh, reputation management um, is is very important yeah. in this situation. And I'm this learning means- all of this stuff, everything that you're saying, it's so great that I, we've met because I'm I'm in, I, you know, I God keeps leading me to all these people because I'm like, I'm, it's like I'm trying to take my way out of this even yeah. still. I mean, it, it's a process, Steve. It is. It is. I know. Long, I know. It's one second to get into hot water, but it's a whole nother getting <laughs> uh, out of it. A lifetime to get out of it. Exactly. But, yeah. you know, but you do have options and you do have resources. And most important, I mean, you have your life, you have your career, you have your health, your children are, I imagine, doing awesome. Your business is doing awesome. The clients that you do have that want to work with you, well, those are the ones that are supposed to be with you. The ones that look at some negative remark and say, well, that's it. I'm not, okay, you know, no fault on them, but that's just their nature, right? You've got a lot of things going for you. And this show, this podcast, you know, once we release it, is going to help you along that way to clear the air and position you as, you know, someone that, yeah, I got in trouble because, 
of my blindfolds, right? The blindfolds right. I was wearing. In, that's a great, in that's a great thing right? to call it. Not, it was not, a blindfold. Like. Exactly. Not because I did anything wrong, but I was blindfolded. I just, and, yeah. you know, right. Th- this story, not just for women, but men also too are taken advantage of. And we let our guard down, right? When we get into relationships and we give access to our finances and our checkbook and our resources and our relationships and it's tough, but yeah, you really have to be careful these days and quote unquote, who you get into bed with, right? Literally. Um, <laughs> exactly. And figuratively. Yeah. I meant it figuratively, but yeah, it's literally, literally as well. So you've got a lot to teach. You've got a lot, you know, to, to educate others on. And you know what, Cindy, had you not gone through the experience, you wouldn't be in a position to talk to women about Finance, That's true. Right? You know, and this was a commitment that I had made. I, my very best friend that, you know, I think you asked me if, if, if I lost any friends it was very interesting. The people I thought would most stay with me left me and the people I thought most least likely to, you know, stay with me actually stayed with me. My best friend in the whole world since then she's passed away. And, um, had it not been through for her, I don't know how I would have survived that. And she said to me in, in my darkest moment, I ended up having to stay at her house for like five weeks in the, when all, everything hit the fan. And um, she sat me down on the couch one night and I was just in hysteria. And I was sitting on her couch and she literally got down in front of her knee on her knee, knees in front of me. And she asked me this question, I'll never forget it. She said, if you could save the life of one woman with this story, would you, would it be worth it? And I said, yeah. And she said, then tell the story. Hold your head up and walk through this and tell the story. Promise me that you will write a book about this when it's time. So I am writing the book. It is not an easy book to write because it requires me to go back and relive this. But I made a promise and um, I intend to keep that promise because she was right. There's been a lot of women that would not be in a good situation at all had I not been there for them and walked them down a path, whether it be financial or with relationships. And I, I speak a lot to women's groups now and it's because I can tell these stories and, and people relate with, oh my gosh, I can't believe someone else has been through this, but now I'm hearing this and now I have hope. And hope is something that we desperately need in our world today. Yeah, a never ending supply of hope. And it requires, uh, takes good people like you to do it. I mean, you know, what a powerful story. Thank you so much, Cindy, for sharing. I recommend that you participate in the Voices of Impact Awards because fortunately, I'm not a judge, right? I'm the co-founder of the company and I've removed myself from judging because I have so many friends with, you know, impactful stories, much like yours and, you know, different stories, right? Different scenarios and those kinds of things. Impactful, emotional, gripping, nonetheless, valuable, certainly. And so I've removed myself from the... uh, position of having to judge and see who's the winner, but we're going to select 10 finalists and one of them is going to win $20,000 in cash. All of the finalists are going to get cash prizes and other rewards that we uh, develop from uh, the relationships that we're continuing to build. So, you know, I can't think of a better way for you to get this out there to the world. 
So you should definitely consider it. I will definitely do that. You know, I, I, I made a promise to God too, that I would tell the story, you know, it, it's, yeah. there's other people that I, you know, people that I've never even met now, you know, in the future that need to hear the story because yep. there, something's going on in their life that, and we just don't know what that is. It's just being a beacon of light and hope for people. You know, exactly. by telling the story. And there'll be people that you never will meet who you will impact, right? Because they're in some other part of the world. And but they listen to your story and say, uh-huh, well, this happened to her. And if she can make it through, I can make it through as well. And so I'm I'm just so grateful, Cindy, that you've given us of your time and you were willing to be vulnerable and having the courage to share your story with us. But you know, this is going to go out to the world, right? And so um, you know, it's it's not easy, right? Because we we want our lives to be uh, a certain way, or we have a vision for the the, the person that we want to be and 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 who we want to present our work ourselves to the world. And I'm sure that you didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be the person that loses a couple million dollars due to, you know, <laughs> and their um, relationship and their reputation and all ex- of that. Exactly. Yeah. I want to be that yeah. person. Yeah. No. <laughs> but you know, you are circumstances brought that to you and you, you, you're just um, like you said, you're a beacon of light and, and we are grateful for your time. Any parting words for our audience? Well, you know, um, there's a saying that I ran into the other day and it said, you know, if you find yourself in hell, straighten up your back and keep walking and act like you own the place, but keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. You know, pretend you uh, own the place and start yeah. take charge. Yeah. Take charge, make new decisions. Very good. Very good. Well, um, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this episode with our, our guest, Cindy Berkland. We're going to have all of her contact information down below in the show notes so that if you need mortgage or other financial services, there's a lot of people that are singing her praises, right? Because of what she's gone through, she has a, uh, a different kind of mentality, a different kind of uh, ability and, and desire to serve people in a way that most of the marketplace does not. And you, you deserve that kind of representation. You deserve that kind of person in your corner that I know that Cindy Berkland will be. So make sure you get a hold of her and uh, let her know that you saw this particular episode and um, how much you appreciate her sharing her story. So on that note, please go to the voices of impact awards.com, awards.com and register to become one of our storytellers or if you're a songwriter musician and you have an original song that you think will inspire the world, songs like Marvin Gaye's What's Going On or another one of my favorites is Mercy Me's I Can Only Imagine, which you probably know, Cindy. Great songs, right? And there's so many more, right? John Lennon's I Imagine. And, you know, I could go on and on and on for another couple hours just listing all the amazing songs. But do that because as Cindy has shared, we need hope. And you, as a songwriter, you as a storyteller, sharing your story, what you've been through with the world, gives us hope and lets us know that we're not going to hell in a handbasket anytime soon because we have great people like Cindy Berkland still on the planet to make sure that, you know, hey, if we're in hell, we're going to straighten up and walk right through it, pretend we own the place. So on on that note, thank you very much once again, Cindy Berkland. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you, Steve.